electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. And it's such a big night that we have added Fast Money friend Gene Munster to the lineup. He is here to break down the flood of tech earnings that just hit the street. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Twitter all on the move in the after-hour session following their latest quarterly results. Many of those conference calls are now underway. We've got full team coverage standing by to break down all of the results. Let's kick things off with Apple. Josh Lipton's got the numbers for us. Josh. So, Melissa, Apple reporting Q4 results are a beat on the bottom and the top. iPhone revenue, $26.4 billion in the quarter. The street was looking for closer to $27.9 billion. The other segments, so that services, uh, the segment that includes wearables, Mac, iPad, beating expectations. I did get the chance to talk uh, with CEO Tim Cook about the quarter. Let me bring you that color. On the decision, first of all, not to offer a Q1 forecast. Cook saying the pandemic is simply causing too much uncertainty right now, telling us, uh, if you look at the case count, Cook saying the case counts are climbing in Western Europe. They're climbing in the United States. And so, Cook says, there's still a, lo- a, still a sufficient level of uncertainty out there. We don't believe that's an environment to guide into. Now, as for the iPhone franchise, Cook emphasizing that this fiscal Q4 was different because Apple launched, he says, uh, new iPhones later this time. So he's not seeing the benefits of those sales uh, like the company did last year in Q4. Still, Cook sounding confident, talked about reasons for optimism in the cores ahead, telling us we have a number of tailwinds. We launched four new models for the first time ever. 5G is a once-in-a-decade kind of opportunity, Cook says. We've got a very large and loyal and growing install base to sell into. And particularly in the United States, Cook says, there are very aggressive carrier promotions. The four of these things give us a lot of confidence. And the initial data point, says uh, Cook says, are really quite good. And finally, Cook did talk to us about the stores as well. The vast majority of those 500 stores are open, but of course, in different ways. Some are open as usual, some by appointment only, though. Cook saying, I think the physical stores are still very important. And I do think that there's a challenge there for us. What we've tried to do to meet that challenge, Cook says, is to double down online. And our online store is growing tremendously. The call is starting just now. I'll bring those headlines as they come. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you, Josh Lipton on Apple. Guy Adami, no guidance for what should be its strongest quarter of the year. What do you make of that? Leads you in suspense. I think it's sort of great. I mean, it gives us something to talk about for the next couple months. And quite frankly, if they don't have any visibility, they shouldn't give guidance. So I actually say it's good for them. You know, revenues now, the breakdown services are now 22 percent of overall revenue, which is good, especially considered that the overall revenue number was a beat. I mean, there's obviously a lot to like here, some things to be disappointed about. It comes down to where do you buy the stock ahead of what could be a ridiculously strong quarter. And there are two levels, the 106 level, which was the September 18th low, I believe, or the level that I think a lot of people are looking at, which is $96, which is where we exploded up from last quarter when they announced earnings and then they announced the subsequent split. So those are your two levels. Just pick which one you want to wait for. Mm-hmm. And that's your entry point, in my opinion, Mel. I guess there's a glass half full aspect to this. And that is that, you know, as Josh had said, Cook said, 
that the early iPhone 12 data is quite good, Karen. So how do you how do you tend to look at the story right now? So I look at it as the weakness in the iPhones for this quarter is not a factor, really. It is all about next quarter. And I applaud them for not giving guidance. I always think companies shouldn't give guidance in the best of times. Forget about a pandemic. And when you're announcing what they call a once in a decade kind of new product. So good for them for not giving guidance. They, they shouldn't. So I'm long the stock. You know, there was a lot to like, but I think it's, you know, just sort of pulling forward. You know, the Mac numbers were very good. Um, so wearables. It's obviously services is the story. The margin was good there. But really what's going to drive the story for the next couple of quarters or years really is the iPhone. And so I'm long here. Um, it's down, I don't know, what, 4% maybe. I would look to add more, maybe around that 106 level that Guy talked about. I don't know how much we're, we're going to get from this call since they don't want to give us guidance. But um, if you didn't own any and it would trade down tomorrow, I would probably I would be a buyer. Mm-hmm. It seems like there could be a lot of push pulls in, in the current quarter, in the fiscal first quarter in that um, the 12 data is, is quite good at this point. But as you mentioned, Karen, the strength really came in Macs, it came in iPads, it came in wearables, all the things that, Dan, you have argued, is pulled forward from future quarters. So could part of this giving, not giving guidance be just the fact that they don't know how to estimate that either? Yeah, I think Guy said it. I mean, they don't have great visibility, so why give the guidance? I think back to two years ago into this very quarter at the end of 2018, the company gave guidance and they massively disappointed in China, if you remember, and the stock was getting creamed the whole quarter. Um, That happened to be the low in January of 2019. The stock's up 225% since then. I guess the thing is this. This is a really weird quarter for the iPhone. It is a staggered release. They announced the SE in September. They shipped two of the phones in October. They're going to ship two next month. We don't know. I think it's really important to consider this fact. This lack of visibility is coming from, and and Tim Cook said it in the statement, of virus spiking in North America and in uh, Europe. He doesn't even mention China. No one's mentioning China. Why would we think that China couldn't have a second wave if Europe and the U.S. are? So the way I look at this story right now, of course, there's going to be plenty of demand for this fantastic phone. The issue is going to be whether there's 5G service to support it. I suspect that's one of the major reasons why you see heavy carrier discounting, which Tim Cook also said. So I guess the point I'll just make is this. A $2 trillion market cap, it's trading about 29 times earnings. That earnings multiple has doubled since the lows in March. And if you're telling me that you're excited about services, which is about 20% of their business, growing at 16%, what a huge slug of that comes from Google, which the DOJ is coming after, I say to you, you're valuing the story wrong and you're going to have plenty of um, you know, volatility around this data in the next few months. You're going to have an opportunity to buy this, I think, between guys 96 and 106 in the next mm. few weeks. Tim? So are you a trader or an investor? I mean, it's not, like, everything I'm hearing is you want to own this company long term. No one is disputing. First of all, people are largely uh, can tolerate a iPhone number here uh, that was that was weak. Who cares? Everyone's going to buy a 5G phone and they're going to buy an Apple phone, at least certainly their installed base and probably grab a few more people along the road. So uh, the fact that services guy talked about the, the percentage of the business also, you know, up 15 and a half percent. The Mac business, look. The fact that it's up 29% year over year, and, and, and actually the, the numbers that came through beat even 
very strong estimates by 13%. Yeah, I, I think we pulled forward. I think the, the learn from home thing is a great trade for Apple, and it's going to be another good trade for them in the holiday season. It's not going to go on forever. Um, but the most important thing about this argument or conversation, because we never argue on this show, is what's the multiple you want to put on this <laughs> stock? They've got a hardware business that's going to go through a refresh that we're all saying in one way or another, uh, it, more iPhones are going to be bought, a lot of them. Um, and then the services revenue continues to grow and be a major part of the business. J.P. Morgan puts a 30 times multiple, a blended multiple on the stock. Mm -hmm. And at five bucks next year, that's that's one hundred and fifty dollars stock. So um, it's really what kind of an investor you are. And I am an investor in the long term here. Gene, what do you want to know from Tim Cook? Well, before that, Melissa, I'd like to step back and, and clarify. I think there's a couple misunderstandings here. First is the lack of guidance, this lack of visibility. Apple hasn't given guidance since the pandemic started. So this is consistent with what they've done before. Second is the iPhone miss. We've talked about that it's because of the timing of iPhone 12, missing a couple weeks in the quarter. But we haven't really qualified what that impact is. And Josh Lipton said something important in his interview with Tim Cook, mentioning that the iPhone was growing in low single digits by mid-September. That's really when the comps start to get kind of goofy. So if you add in that 3%, assume it was on a trajectory to grow at 3%, and you look at Apple's overall revenue growth rate, you're going to get to 14 15% year-over-year in the quarter. That's a step up from 11% in the June quarter. So actually, their growth accelerated. And you could argue that that is... Uh, to be expected given what they're benefiting from work and learn from home. You could argue that that is an achievement because uh, of where the world is at. I tend to favor the second uh, perspective that this is really impressive what they're doing. And uh, I would like to be the first to weigh in on Tim's question, which is what's the right multiple for Apple? And ultimately, I think it's a 35 times. It's a premium to the rest of tech. And the reason is that the hardware software, Dan, you mentioned that the services business is just software. Eventually, Apple's going to have a hardware as a subscription business. They're going to one, one and done three years from now. Uh, they're going to they're extend what they're doing right now with their other bundle. I still haven't answered your question, Melissa. I can get to it quickly. What am I <laughs> expecting from the call is not a lot. They're not going to really say much. Well, everyone's keyed in on, Josh has already uh, illuminated, is that the iPhone, at least the two versions that they're already shipping, are off to a good start. That should pave the way for iPhone growth in the high single digits in December. And then, as Tim said, we're off to the races because this is a three-year upgrade cycle. All right. Uh, Apple shares right now down 4.4 percent. Uh, let's get on with uh, Amazon here. The stock is moving lower in the after-hour session. Leslie Picker's got the latest. Les. Hey, Melissa, that's right. That move, despite a very solid beat on both the top and bottom lines and guidance coming in ahead of expectations as well. Still, those picky investors out there are looking at growth in Amazon Web Services, slowing to about 29 percent year over year. That's giving some investors some pause today in the aftermarket. Now, the media call with the CFO, Brian Osovsky, just ending. Uh, they really got into some of the various impacts of the pandemic on the call. He was asked about the company's ability to fulfill holiday orders. Uh, Olsovsky said they're not totally insulated from the capacity constraints facing the logistics industry as a whole. He mentioned that Amazon had a, quote, good dry run from a from Prime Day a few weeks ago and that they have invested $30 billion in CapEx aimed at operations to smooth this. Uh, he also spoke about COVID-related costs, which the company expects to be around 
$4 billion in the fourth quarter. That's up from $2.5 billion this quarter. It includes productivity costs from work from home and social distancing, as well as things like cleaning supplies. Now, Amazon shares are up about 76% this year, although they've been pretty range-bound since July. It doesn't appear that today's numbers, though, are enough to give that stock a boost out of the range, Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, I'll go straight to Gene on this. And Gene, it seemed that when Amazon released its fourth quarter guidance, that's when the stock reversed in the after-hour session. Um, what did you make of this quarter? Surprised to see the reversal. 37% top-line growth, just really impressive. Assume that they're going to hit or exceed the top end of their guidance for the December quarter. That implies 38% year-over-year. So assume essentially that it's overall, it's flat. I think this is, I was really impressed. And at the end of the day, it's just an expensive stock. This is going to be an expensive stock for a long time. There wasn't anything wrong with the quarter of the AWS number. People are searching for a reason to be negative when they're talking about that. It was still a fine number. Yeah, it was right in line with what analysts were expecting. Karen, you, you bought a little Amazon yesterday. How do you feel about your new purchase? Um, you know, I'm sort of a mixed feelings because uh, you don't want it to be down, but I'd like it to be, if we were going to be down, I'd rather be down a lot and buy more. I agree with what Gene was saying. I don't think it was particularly disappointing. Also, I don't think of Amazon as a, I think of them as an under-promiser, over-deliverer. <laughs> so if the guidance wasn't as good as people hoped, that doesn't bother me. I'd like to buy more. So actually, I wanted to trade down. We have been in a position, Guy, where the stock seems fairly stable in the after-hour session. Then you go into the conference call. They say something about how much money they're going to spend in the coming year, and the stock uh, gets torpedoed. I'm just I'm curious, Guy, what your take is and if you think there's a, a tape bomb to come. I think I think they get a – I mean, honestly, I think at this point in the cycle for them, they get a kick out of it. I think they really enjoy – uh, the, the, the seemingly the, the power they have over the stock price. I mean, my, that's my sense, at least, because to your point, you've seen it on both sides of the ledger. This is this is my takeaway in the quarter. I mean, six and a half percent, almost six and a half percent operating margins is just a staggering number, given what's going on in the world and blew away what the street was looking for. Your point is the guidance. I mean, I don't know. You know, good for Apple for not giving guidance, and I understand Gene's point. But you know, if you're going to give uh, operating income guidance somewhere between a billion and four and a half billion, why even bother? That would be my pushback, and I think that's why the stock is lower. Couple things: the armchair technicians will say, you know, you had a 35 and 3,500 uh, top back in the beginning of September. We tried to breach that again, seemingly have failed. Where do you buy the stock? You know, we're basically back to where we started at the beginning of the day. I'd be concerned if we close below 3100 Otherwise, I think this stock is still viable here, Mel. Operating income guidance, was, that's kind of a wide range. I mean, as ranges go, one to four and a half billion, Dan. I mean... You could drive a Mack truck through that thing. I mean, listen, that, that's what we've become accustomed to. And yeah. I think when the stock, when they, when they report at the upper end of that guidance or beat, then the stock usually does well. And when they come into the low end and then guide similarly worse, then the stock is kind of heavy. But listen, this is one of these names where I think the smartest investors in the world want to buy this thing on every dip. I think that's proven to be the case. You know, it's really interesting that in March, on the way down, when a lot of stocks got cut 30, 40 percent in line with the S&P 500, it really outperformed on the downside. It was one of the first mega cap stocks to make a new all-time high, I think, in April. So this is one where, you know, we talk about the market has a Fed put. This has the genius tech investor put. They want to buy this thing 
every single pullback. So I just don't think it's a great name to short on valuation. I think it's probably a better name to buy on pullbacks. I mean, it is a little surprising that the pullback is not greater in the after recession. If there was disappointment in the guidance uh, or if there is a sort of sell the new sort of mentality in the market at this point, um, considering the selling pressure that we've seen earlier in the week, you would think that this would be a place where people want to take profits after what Gene called was an OK quarter, Tim. I do. But again, you know, that Azure number was actually, excuse me, relative to Azure, that AWS number, um, I think was better than expected. And when when you look at at the investment that they've made in fulfillment and and logistics and people start complaining about margins, uh, you know, this is why Amazon is who they are. Um, And the most important thing about Amazon this year and why they hold these numbers is that e-commerce in the United States uh, is going to be up 49 percent in 2020. And and Amazon is going to be 50 plus percent of every package that's delivered in the holiday season from their own fulfillment and logistics. Um, they, They own it. And, and, and again, uh, they're, uh, a rising tide is taking the biggest boat in, in the ocean. And I think that's why, uh, well said by Guy people and Dan, people aren't getting too far away from this stock on weakness. All right, let's go on to a Facebook and Twitter. They are also on the move after results. Julia Borson's got the numbers for both of those companies. Julia. Well, Melissa, Facebook beating expectations on the top and bottom lines with monthly and daily active user growth that also surpassed expectations. Now, to put those beats in context, Melissa, average revenue per user was $7.89 versus the $7.32 that was estimated. Now, the company noted that daily and monthly active users declined in the U.S. and Canada from the second to the third quarter, saying the second quarter had been elevated due to the impact of the pandemic, and they do expect this declining trend to continue. That did put negative pressure on the stock and after-hours trading, but on the upside, you'll see that the stock moved higher again. The company's saying, quote, we expect our fourth quarter 2020 year-over-year ad revenue growth rate to be higher than our reported third quarter 2020 rate, driven by continued strong advertiser demand during the holiday season key uh, insight into what to expect ahead. They say the shift of commerce online has increased demand for their advertising, and online commerce is Facebook's largest ad vertical, saying a change in that trend could serve as a headwind, potential headwind next year. Now, Twitter shares are getting hammered, the stock down about 15 percent, despite being expectations on the top and bottom line. That's on slower than expected user growth. Twitter added 1 million monetizable daily active users in the quarter. That's 8 million fewer than expected. I spoke to Twitter CFO Ned Siegel. He told me, quote, between the U.S. election and ongoing product improvements, we we remain optimistic that we can continue to deliver MDAU growth over time. And the company is indicating that there is more revenue growth ahead saying they have no reason to believe that the 19% revenue growth that they saw in September can't continue or even improve outside that election-related window. Melissa, back over to you. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. Tim, thoughts on Facebook? Facebook, Sorry, did you say Tim or Dan? Tim, sorry, Tim. Sorry. Tim Seymour. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard of them. I've heard of them. Look, so uh, I think the ad revenue t- to me is is once again the story and showing how they are in some sense totally dominating and that the DAU growth is very important. The, the thing that's very interesting to me about Facebook and the valuation here is their rollout of shops. Uh, and to the extent that that is also going to give them more digital ad, uh, you know, 
footprint in addition to international growth. I think you watch that because that to me is, is their move into e-commerce and something that people have been waiting for for a long time, upside to the valuation. Yeah. Karen, what do you want to know from the call on Facebook? <clears throat> Um, well, I guess they were probably not going to give very clear guidance, but they're trying to sort of temper expectations, and I'd kind of <laughs> like to know why. Also, um, anything they have to say about 2.30, which I doubt they really will address, or anything like that, I'm interested in hearing. Mm. Gene, it does weigh on yeah, the stock. Gene, what do you make of the Facebook quarter? It's uh, basically a little bit under pressure after hours. <clears throat> I want to give them credit for the, the step back up in revenue growth. I, I don't want to come across as nitpicking the numbers, but there is some noise in that revenue growth. It was 11% in June. They had the boycott that burned off early in the quarter. That it was part of the step up. They talk about the holiday quarter and acceleration. That is code for the election quarter. They're going to have a nice bump in ad spend around the election. Uh, even with all the some of the different changes that they've made, they still are going to. Uh, their still engagement has gone up. They do benefit from that. And so I think it was good. The other piece is the 12% DAU growth just keeps blowing me away. They just continue to grow that. The world is hooked on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, versus uh, what we're seeing with Twitter here. Dan, what do you do? I mean, this is a stock that's gone up 41% into this print the three months prior. So do you throw in the towel here? Nah, this stock just rallied on the back of the Snapchat and the Pinterest. You know, it rallied from about 44, 45 um, up to the low 50s. That's where it is now. Um, I think they pulled a kind of interesting trick here. They used to report on the Thursday morning pre-opening, yeah. and they decided to jam this report right in the middle of Facebook and Google and Apple <laughs> and Amazon, um, thinking that maybe they'd get a little color. Um, I just think that that DAU growth is just pathetic at $1 million. I mean, listen, I, I, great service, you know. I like Jack Dorsey. I like what they're they're trying to do there. But remember, this is a company that might do four billion dollars in sales next year um, when Facebook's going to top one hundred billion. They're really just kind of a rounding error for the 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 um, online ad market here. So if they can't grab users, they're going to have to monetize the ones they have more. And I don't know about you guys, but I saw a whole heck of a, a lot of ads jammed in my feed over the last couple of months. So the trends without all the events, without um, baseball and, and NBA and, and college football and everything like that, all abbreviated things, I think that kind of really hurt them over the last few months. So maybe this is a trough sort of situation. I think if you get this thing back towards 40, it's probably a great buying opportunity. Well, that's there. an interesting take because for Snap, at least, they didn't include any sports in their guidance. And so the fact that there were abbreviated yep. seasons actually helped them and made the numbers look even, even more stellar. Guy, what do you make of Twitter? Do you think, here's a question, the best days of Twitter are behind it, given the anemic no, best growth. No, okay. best, best days of Twitter, I think, still are ahead of – I think there's so many ways for Twitter to go in the years to come. And, listen, Dan Power pitched this sucker, I think, when it had a 29 handle, and it's had only been straight up ever since. So, you know, I thought we might be able to build on the, the, the move we saw over the last couple of weeks. Today I was wrong vis-a-vis uh, -vis what you saw on Pinterest and Snap and some of these other names. But with that said, I think $44 is where we really broke out from. That's your re-entry point. In terms of Facebook, real quick, and Gene addressed this, but, you know, look at what they did on the operating income side. They beat the first, uh, first call number by about 20%, $8 billion as opposed to 6.4. And margins, operating margins, and by the way, these are the gap operating margins, not that Fugazi non-gap. They were 37.4%. <laughs> And the street was at 32.5%. I mean, this is a great quarter. 
With all that said, um, you had a big run up off that 245 level, which we had talked about forever on the way down. We thought it would, it would hold. It did. Karen got in there, I know, because she talked about it. Uh, that's your line in the sand. I don't think we're going back, though. So I think Facebook is fine right here. Yeah, Gene, I do want to get your thoughts on Twitter and this big decline we're seeing in the after-hour session. I wouldn't own it. I think it's uh, this chess match here that both Facebook and Twitter will be in with authorities around regulation. There is uh, still some measurable unknowns here. Nice to see that they've had, you know, they've hit some of the, the numbers. But at the end of the day, I think investors' money is better spent other places. All right, let's get to Alphabet because those shares are decisively soaring on its results. The company's call is underway right now. Let's get to Debosa with the latest. Deidre. Melissa Alphabet bouncing back in the third quarter among big tech, of course, that has been the underperformer amid the pandemic. It's rebound now seeing it outperform in the after hours. Core advertising revenue returning to growth after its first revenue decline in its more than two decade history. That was last quarter. Key is what the company sees going forward on this point. They didn't really give us much. CFO Ruth Port telling me that they did see a broad recovery in advertising this past quarter, and that was in line with the economic recovery. But she said there's still uncertainty on the call. She said that there are signs that user behavior is beginning to return to normalized levels. Everything else, guys, was strong from YouTube revenue to play to cloud, which grew revenue 45 percent going forward. CEO Sundar Pichai said that they will further break out cloud as a reporting segment so that investors can track aggressive investment and progress, of course, that reflects cloud's growing importance to Alphabet's overall business and perhaps the competition there. Lastly, guys, I would just note that there have been at least two questions on the DOJ lawsuit and increased antitrust scrutiny, which has been building around the world. Back over to you, Melissa. Deidre, thank you. Debo uh, with Alphabet's results. Tim Seymour, this, as Deidre had mentioned, had been the laggard going in among the big tech yeah. giants for the year, a laggard versus its peers, a laggard versus the NASDAQ. Are we setting up here for, dare I say it, a golden age for Alphabet? Well, the, the profitability, look, the, 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 the massive beat here um, on the bottom line is, is very encouraging for Google shareholders who have been a little frustrated. And, and yes, if I had to sum up uh, earnings of the big four here, there's no question that the response to the share prices is, is a function <laughs> of really where these stocks have come from or not come from. Uh, I, I love the fact that YouTube is now a $5 billion business. I, I think that's going a lot higher. Uh, the fact that the cloud is $3.4 I mean, breaking out, and if you look at all these separate businesses, in addition to uh, the core search juggernaut, which really is, is showing no signs of weakness, ad growth back up close to 10%. So, yes, Google to me is way too cheap at a time when the three other companies we're talking about, and even Facebook, which struggles uh, on the low end of valuation scale, um, have re-rated, and, and Google has not. And, and, and Google really, uh, I think, took a major step here. But it's about breaking it out. It's about transparency. And I think, you know, that's part of what we're getting there. I mean, the, the saying that it will, from this point on, break out cloud genes seems to be a very good sign, a sign of confidence in the growth of that business. It is. I think it speaks to a bigger opportunity with the stock. We talk a lot about search. We talk a lot about cloud. Breaking out cloud is an indication, you know, they want to get more at illuminating other parts of the business. And of course, there are other bets. This is not above the fold in the conversation today, but I think any investor who is buying Google right now should pay close attention. They've got some gems in their other bets mm. around uh, longevity, around uh, the future transportation, uh, potentially even flight. And so I, when I think about this, uh, the numbers, it's nice to see the 
the, the swing back and the growth rate's not back to a normal level for Google, but I think it sets up a very simple uh, narrative around Google, which is stable core business and other bets, which could provide some upside of the multiple in the years to come. Uh, Karen, I want, I want your quick take on, on Alphabet. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if this confirms what you already believed about the company and its valuation, or if this makes you feel like it deserves an even higher valuation than you thought 24 hours ago. Mm -hmm. I feel like Mike Pence, there was just a fly there. Um, I think that it does deserve a higher valuation. Remember, Google has one of the biggest cash hoards ever. And so we saw a little bit of um, buyback here. I think it was about maybe about $8 billion. I'd like to see them do more. But uh, this is really a validation. And remember, Google has much more exposure to the travel business. And obviously, travel business is not where you want to be right now. And so I think that they're going to continue to see improvement. It should be higher. It's actually been surprisingly weak. So if I didn't own any, I would probably buy some even up. It's hard to buy something up this much, mm -hmm. but I would want to own it because this is an extraordinary business. And there's a lot to like. And remember, this is an evolution. When Ruth Porat got there, it was sort of a grown-up. And then she started to show, they broke up the two businesses. We started to get more clarity. We'll get some more on cloud. So I, I really like this name. All right. Uh, Gene is going to sit tight and stick with us for the rest of the show. We'll continue our coverage of all these tech titans. Apple's call is now underway. Amazon's call is about to kick off. Um, we will be on them. We'll check back in coming up. And it is call time. We are plugged into these earnings calls. Uh, we'll bring you any major breaking news that happens. But first, we are digging into today's market action. Stocks finally catching a break following three days of brutal selling. Did any of tonight's earnings change the market mood? All that and much more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We just heard from four of the biggest stocks in the markets, all reporting during a volatile week on Wall Street. Stocks posting a gain today following three days of selling on Virusphere. So did tonight's earnings change the market mood? Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to see you. Great to see you, Mel. What do you think? What do you, what do you think the markets will do in response to these earnings? You know what I love? It already responded. The market was up over a percent during the trading hours. Then in the after hours, it, it was only up a little bit. So what I really love about the, the four big ones that reported is there's differentiation among them. And it's not just one correlated market. In other words, certain companies are reacting to how they went into it. And then they're reacting to the numbers coming out of it. So I, I like the fact that it's that they're kind of acting differently. I, that, that's a good sign. So you think it's, I mean, as opposed to if they all sort of just traded as a monolith, then that would make you more pessimistic right. about what, what happens with the markets. A lot of times the viewers, um, we don't explain well enough what correlations mean. When every stock is acting the exact same way, that typically happens in, in a crash or some kind of really huge market swoon. So correlations, which means how each individual stock trades against the market itself, when those correlations are very high, it goes from a, a scale of zero to 100, it was at a, a near record high, 
during the March uh, and it, that crash in March. So now correlations have come down a lot. So not every stock is trading the same way, mm. which means that analysts are doing what Gene has done a great job of so far on the show, and that is suggesting which is positive and negative, not just fundamentally, but how the stocks react. And I think it's important, just like I have to separate the market from the economy, sometimes the macroeconomic backdrop, I think analysts have to do the same thing on some of these names. Yeah, I know you're a longer term uh, sort of forecaster, Tony, but, you know, in terms of the short term, we've got the election coming up in just days. And at the same time, we've just gotten news that Walmart is removing guns and ammunition from sales floors to prevent theft and looting. Uh, customers can still purchase these items, but the change is a precaution given what it calls recent civil unrest. We haven't even gotten to the election, the potential for civil unrest right. as it relates to a, an election outcome. Um, what do you what do you foresee for the markets going into the next week? So if it's gotten down to the level where Walmart's making decisions like that, you think a hedge fund manager or a mutual fund manager may have de-risked their portfolio a week at a time. <laughs> so I, I think the idea that we're going into this and and. Again, I think we come on TV and we make like we have any idea what the near term is going to act. We have a pandemic like we've never we've never seen something like this in modern times. And we're still kind of in the thick of it with the second wave. We still have the election in front of us. And, and Mel, as you said, we have no idea if it'll be contested and if there'll be social unrest. We have geopolitical um, tension with China. We've got Brexit. We, we, you know, you could go on and on and on. And at some point, it gets discounted. So let, let's put it to the numbers because, you know, who cares what my opinion is? Let's look at the numbers. When uh, we found that when more than uh, 90 percent of S&P 500 components are trading below their 10-day moving average, it signifies a washout. Um, the same is true when the VIX spikes to where it got 40 and the 10-day rate of change spikes to where it, it marks a peak in volatility. Now, when these two events happen, it doesn't typically mark the exact low. So I, I'm not going to try it. I've, I've proven on with you and everywhere else. I'm not the greatest trader of all time. What I do know is that it is significant because it does mark at least a temporary bounce where any further weakness is going to be made up. The futures were weak after the four numbers came out, the earnings numbers came out. So at this point, you could open up a little bit weaker. But Historically, what you if on a short term basis, you want to add into that weakness. Now, Mel, I think a really important point for me to point out is the reason I always stress the macroeconomic backdrop of excess liquidity coupled with a synchronized global recovery. Right. You had the opposite of that in the March decline. So we're oversold. So you have one of two options. You're either going to tank like you did in March or you're going to have a stabilization period. and You're going to bounce. The reason I think it's a stabilization stabilization period and a bounce is because we have excess money. We have a Fed that's told us they're going to keep printing money. Sure. DC sure. is fighting over how much they can give. So I, I think that's the setup in the background. Tony, great to see you. Thanks. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Uh, Guy, do you buy that stabilization then bounce scenario that Tony's putting forth? He echoed some of the things we talked about last night, Mel. You know, we, last night we started the show on sort of a rosy uh, outlook in terms of we mentioned the VIX traded up to the 40 level, which we had talked about for seemingly weeks. Uh, that was the June high. And we thought, at least I thought, the S&P could trade down to 3210, got down to 3260. So, you know, a lot of things lined up for the market to recover. I didn't know it happened this quickly, 
But I am sort of in the Tony Dwyer camp. We'll see what happens over the next few days. Okay. Up next, we've got an earnings alert on Starbucks. Shares lower in the after hours on results. We'll break down the numbers. And later, we are dialed in. Apple and Amazon's calls are now underway. We're listening in. We'll bring you any big after hours news. Stick around. Fast Money's back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks heading lower after hours. Kate Rogers got the latest. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, it was a better than expected quarter for the coffee giant, despite that drop, as business in its two main markets of the U.S. and China seems to be bouncing back. EPS and revenue both higher than expected in Q4. Same store sales did fall by 4% overall, or excuse me, 9% overall, 9% in the U.S. and 3% in China, all also better than expected. Now, while transactions declined, they were offset by higher average guest checks in every market. Starbucks also opened up 480 net new stores even in this environment, its U.S. rewards members also hit 19.3 million members. Now, on the call, CEO Kevin Johnson just said he's really feeling optimistic about 2021 and long-term success at the company. Remember, just five months ago, sales were down 65% in the U.S. at the height of the pandemic. Customers are placing larger orders in drive throughs a trend that many other fast food players are also seeing. Customers are also shifting their patterns to the suburbs, drive throughs and the company says it's seeing an outpaced recovery now on the weekends. Comps were solidly positive for drive throughs and suburbs in September and in Q4, Johnson said. For full year 2021, Starbucks is projecting global same-store sales growth of between 18 and 23 percent, adjusted EPS of between $2.70 and $2.90, and consolidated revenues of between $28 and $29 billion, all a bit better than expected. The stock is up just under 1 percent for the year. Melissa, back over to you. Kate, thanks. Tim, why is the stock down in your view? I just think people are looking at them the same way they were a have not in the first, you know, few weeks, months of, of COVID. This stock was it's a $50 stock, I think, at its lows. Look, who's going to come out of this better than Starbucks? Talked about U.S. comp sales for 21, 70 to 21 percent. Global comps, 18 to 23. Starbucks is set up very well. I mean, if we're going to talk about fast food as technology and, and the benefit of, of having a, a real heavy technology investment uh, guy, this is one of them. Yeah, I think people are too focused on the first quarter guide. If they look at the full year guide and what Kevin Johnson said, it is optimistic. You take the midpoint of the guide uh, and the stock price now, you're talking about Starbucks trading at 31 times, which, you know, Tim can echo. It's, it seems expensive. It probably isn't. It's got to get above 91, which was the high we saw a couple weeks ago. Then I think you're going to challenge the prior all-time high we saw a year or so ago. So I think it's fine. All right, coming up, a gem of a new deal. LVMH and Tiffany agreeing to new terms of their mega merger. Why one of our traders calls it the tightest acquisition agreement 
year she has ever seen. And later, we're going house hunting. Why option traders see big gains building in one major home builder. We'll bring you that name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a deal update in the luxury space. LVMH and Tiffany agreed in new terms to their merger. Tiffany is now agreeing to be bought by the French, French fashion house for $131.5 a share. That's down from the original deal price of $135 a share. Karen, you read the, the new deal. You called it the tightest merger agreement you have ever seen, and you've actually read a lot of them. So <laughs> uh, what do you make of it? I have. There is nothing like this. The thing that's so extraordinary about this merger agreement is there is no material adverse change out, meaning Tiffany's business can be horrific. The economy can go into a depression. We could see the pandemic get much worse. There can be protests in the streets. None of that gives LVMH any opportunity to walk. In addition, LVMH had to agree that there was no government entity that could prohibit this deal from happening. I don't know if you remember that ridiculous letter from the French foreign ministry suggesting that LVMH shouldn't close on the deal. They can't do that. And another thing is if LVMH drags their feet and Tiffany needs to take them to court to close, then Tiffany will sue them for the 135, as if they never agreed to this 131.50. So I've never seen anything like this in a merger agreement. So this will close. It just sort of goes to show you, I mean, how worth it it is to have incredibly good lawyers, because in this sort of environment, I, I think also Tiffany was right to take a tiny haircut for great certainty, because when you go to court, there is always just a tiny chance it doesn't go your way. Right. So they did the right thing by agreeing to that very small cut. Right. Good job, risk arbitrages, or whatever you call it. Right, Guy? <laughs> I just want, well I know, Mel, we, have, we probably yeah. got to go to break totally here, but do. since we're talking about <laughs> Tiffany's, I want to give a shout out to Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost. The genius there is she doesn't have to change the ScarJo thing, and they're both huge fans of the show. I'm probably sure. bought that beautiful ring at Tiffany's. Just throwing it out there. Congratulations, ScarJo. Coming up, <laughs> the housing market is still red hot, and often traders see a sizzling trade out there. We'll dive in on that one next. Plus, we're listening into Apple's and Amazon's earnings calls. We'll tell you what they are saying when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a surprise on the housing front, pending home sales unexpectedly falling for the first time in four months. But in the options markets, traders are still betting that hot housing trade is still intact. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. All right. So we were taking a look at DHI, DR Horton. That saw more than three times the average daily call volume today. All of that the result of a single very large trade in the January 95 calls, over 11,000 of which traded for about 50 cents. Now, does that mean that this options trader is betting that the stock is going to rise 40% over the course of the next three months or so? Maybe not, but what it does look like is there was substantial open interest in this strike already, and this person could now be covering a short position. So what they are probably indicating is that they think that the drawdown that we've seen over the last two weeks may be coming to an end, and the stock could be hitting some support, given the fact that this is a well-positioned company in a relatively strong housing market, today's numbers notwithstanding. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Apple's and Amazon's calls underway. Gene Munzer's manning the phone, the red phone, hopefully. His fresh take from the calls and fast money returns.
Welcome back to Fast. We want to check on Apple because uh, we are pretty close to after our session lows down five and a quarter percent. Gene's been listening on the conference call. So, Gene, what happened? Well, they, they gave some color that you can back in the guidance. Essentially, it applies $100 billion in revenue for the quarter. This is right in line with the street. I'm surprised to see the stock drifting a little bit lower. I think it probably implies investors were hoping for more. The second piece is they did address some of the, the Google antitrust issues in their services business. Uh, question came up, and uh, surprisingly, they, they discussed it. I thought they were just going to say no comment. But Tim Cook mentioned that they have a lot of other services like Apple TV+, Apple Music, their new fitness app, all these other apps that they can continue to grow their services. And I, I can kind of fill in the blanks there. It's that Apple really doesn't want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. I think if you put it together, Melissa, there is a key takeaway from the quarter uh, or from this conference call. They did. They are trying to give some guidance, trying to nudge people along. It's like there. It is a. It is a subtle sign of confidence. And Tim Cook said, "I counted uh, three times that uh, he's bullish." Gene, thanks so much for working overtime for us tonight. Gene Munster of Thank Loop you. Ventures. Dan Nathan, um, a quick comment here as we are looking at, as Tony had mentioned, very disparate reactions amongst these tech titans in the after hours session. Yeah, let's just keep an eye on Microsoft. Yesterday was down five percent after its results. Anemic bounce today. Broke the uptrend from the March lows. Apple is below its uptrend from the March lows. Amazon is sitting right on it. Keep an eye on those three tomorrow and actually into the election. Those are going to be key to see if we can kind of find some form of grounding um, as we head out of the election next week. Okay. Up next, we've got your final trade. For the final trades, go around the horn. Tim Seymour. I was strong on Starbucks. And again, if you saw that their rewards were 47% of sales, the digital story is alive and well. KJ, doing a great job. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so Twitter, not impressive quarter by any means. Stock's down 17% at 43.5. You see this thing near 40, I think that's where you buy it. Karen Feinerman. Yes. So the great John Madden, a friend of the show, used to say, you can't feel pain in two things at once. So if you hurt your knee, back your elbow, you won't feel your knee pain. That's what today was like trying to look at all of those earnings. Some pain, some good. <laughs> all that having been said, Tiffany, sell it, buy the drama, sell the denouement. Guy Adami. Scarlett and Colin reached out. They want to come on after their honeymoon, number one. Anytime. Number two, I thought Cat would hold 154. Got down to Steve Grosso's 151, but it did bounce. Caterpillar. They just have to call. Thanks for watching Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.